Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? Yeah, come on. I just hope we can win a game. Come on. Dropping stats over beats is the fantasy freestyle. Always coming with the heel is the fantasy freestyle. We got strong takes and tips is the fantasy freestyle. You win championships at the fantasy freestyle. Dropping stats over beats is the fantasy freestyle. Always coming with the heat is the fantasy freestyle. We got strong takes and tips at the fantasy freestyle. You win championships with that fantasy freestyle. Yo, it's your boy Rock Swan, aka Young Fistful of Rings, with my man Dane Martinez, the spitting statistician. They call him Speeds Kino. We are here to break down everything you need to know this week for the championship games. Ayo, hey, Speeds, holler at the kids. Yo, it is a big week, and I don't know if you're talking about the kids that are in my contest, Speeds versus the kids, or all the fantasy fanatics that are listening to us drop stats over beats here on the Fantasy Freestyle. Big week. There are four teams left rocks and I'm telling you you have four you know great quarterbacks if you gave me four elite quarterbacks I could have showed you who would still be in contention but interestingly enough this is also the very last week we can play DFS I know with only two games left so this is like that getaway game in Vegas you know you might as well bet it all this week speeds rocks we're gonna hold them down as we break down these games and then we're gonna tell them you know who to who to start who's got that good value what else we giving them this episode I think we're going to talk a little bit. We're going to break things up. We're going to talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame vote just came out. Me and Speed just had an excellent conversation, breaking down some of the angles you might have not known, been running through your beat writer's head when he cast that vote for Matt Stairs. Yeah, really. We're going to talk about why these guys even on the ballot. And then, as we've been doing, giving our season-long awards, our flagship segments, our game flow geniuses. Superlatives. Diamonds in the rough and our fantasy food. Fugazis. Forget about it. This week, we're going to go to the quarterback position. But, yo, Rocks. I call the quarterback the captain of the offense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there are four great captains of the offense left. Big Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and my vote for the MVP of this football season, Matural, Matty Ice, Matt Ryan. Which game do you want to start off? Let's dive in, give them people everything they need to win their leagues and win that cash. Where do you want to go, Rocks? Let's dive right in. Yo, let's go down to the temperature-controlled turf of the Georgia Dome. We're going to Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Wow. Atlanta hosting the NFC Championship game. It's not something that too many people foresaw, but that's what's happening right now. Another thing a lot of people probably didn't see when they were stumbling, slipping, and really having trouble getting their footing in the middle of the season was the Green Bay Packers being in that game. Yo, Aaron Rodgers is the man. That's undisputable. Speeds, who is he going to be throwing the ball to this week? Absolutely no idea, and I think that's what it comes down to. Listen, Devontae Adams aggravated that ankle in the last game against the Cowboys. He did not practice some of the days this week. Of course, we also know Jordy Nelson broke at least two ribs. McCarthy came out earlier in the week and actually said if this wasn't the playoffs, neither one of them would be playing, and yo, I mean, I guess that means you gotta look towards Randall Cobb, who's at 60 But Jared Cook coming off an incredible game. He had six catches for 104 yards and a touchdown last week. Check that out. That makes you all of a sudden the number one expensive tight end in FanDuel the next week. I think you can find other options there. But uh, it could be a little bit banged up. I'd also be a little bit worried. And I'm trying to find reasons to go against Aaron Rodgers here. Watch out. I've seen both Ryan Beluga and Bakhtiari on the offensive line in the Packers both be a little bit banged up. I wouldn't be surprised to see Vic Beasley and or Dwight Freeney get pressure on Aaron Rodgers in this one. And Speech, you were last week very, very high on that Atlanta front seven against Seattle. Obviously, it was exacerbated when Seattle lost an offensive lineman early in the game. Yep. But, yo, you know, we hold ourselves accountable. Speech, you held yourself down on that gentleman's bet. Atlanta covered that spread handily. That's you. Let's shake on that. No doubt. No doubt. In what that I, game, you said the, uh, the pressure 
after in 34 snaps, Russell Wilson was hurried 17 times, hit seven times, and had three sacks, yo. He was getting pressure. We'll see if they can do that again. Yo, what I will say in this game, um, honestly, Ty Montgomery to me becomes a lot more interesting, even though he is a bit expensive at, uh, at, at 6,900 this week at the running back position. But you have absolutely no idea. He's been someone that they've plugged in where there have been needs. There are going to be needs on all facets of the offense this week in the game. There's a good chance they're going to be trailing. One other thing I'm going to say, if you're a Hail Mary guy, if you're one of those I want to finish first in my tournament, guys, Jeff Janis. We've seen it before in the playoffs. He may be Aaron Rodgers' number one deep threat down the field while you've got Jared Cook and Randall Cobb occupying the middle of the field. It would not be crazy to see him pop off for a long one or get a little bit against that prevent and garbage time if Atlanta's able to take control of this game. Remember that name, Jeff Janis. Yo, if you're looking for a wide out that you can get at a decent price, I also like Tyler Gabriel. Tyler Gabriel at 6,000. Listen, here's my thing. Julio Jones is obviously dominant, but he's only playing like 50-60% of the snaps these days with that toe injury, with that foot injury, and you know the Green Bay Packers secondary can be had. Tyler Gabriel, real rocks. You've been high on him throughout the season. You had those next-gen stats with Tyler Gabriel. So fast. He could go over the top. He can catch a bubble screen and go 60. I think he's the solid number two pass catcher for this Atlanta Falcons offense. Hey, Rocks, let me ask you this. Um, in week eight, the Packers and the Falcons played in the Georgia Dome. It was a 33-32 final but with the Falcons winning. It was a game where, you know, the Falcons just had the ball last. That's the way it turned out. I expect this one to be kind of similar. Do you know that the over-under in this game opened at 58.5 as of Wednesday? It was 60.5. As of later in the week, it was 61.5 already. In this game, this is the highest ever point total for a conference championship or a Super Bowl in history. You taking the over or the under on this game? I'm going to bang the under on that. Um, honestly, I love Atlanta. I think that Atlanta has got a, a very solid offense. You know, they did it last week against a good Seattle defense. Right, right. I do think, though, that the Packers are a team that has the energy behind them. I hate to use those amorphous weirdo terms like that, but I don't think that they're going to allow Matt Ryan to stomp them. And if they do, honestly, I think that offense is going to be able to come back to the point where Atlanta has enough of a running game that Atlanta is going to play a little bit of clock control if they get a lead. Hey, you know, that's not this that's not that's not my preferred game of choice, but if I had to, I would put a couple units on that under in that game. I think it's got a little bit out of control and whenever you see a line like that, I wouldn't be surprised if some late money comes in and that gets corrected. This is Rocks fading the public. This is how we teaching you how to fish here dropping stats over beats. Let me ask you a couple more questions about the NFC Championship game. Rocks, rocks. What effect do you think? Oh, I'm think, stretching my back. I'm stretching. I'm getting ready to answer these questions. What effect do you think it will have that it is guaranteed the swan song for the Georgia Dome? They are closing out the Georgia Dome. They're moving to that new stadium across the street next year. They're shutting down the Georgia Dome this year. And, uh, you know, last week the Packers were in Jerry Jones's cavernous stadium. People say that the Cowboys don't have that big home field advantage. I expect a different environment in the Georgia Dome with those dirty birds. You think the crowd has a chance and the home field advantage has a chance to uh, impact your pick here? Maybe knock off Aaron Rodgers? Uh, what I would say is that definitely Matt Ryan is impacted by the crowd in the Georgia Dome. Matt Ryan, since he's been a, a young pup, a rook in this league, has had a tremendous win-loss record in the Georgia Dome. Uh, I'm not looking at it right now, but I'm going to say at one point in his career, he went 8-0 at home and I just think that that sort of, that sort of comfortable... Uh, feeling from your quarterback, especially someone who doesn't have a lot of success under his belt in the playoffs, cannot be discounted. I think that's why it's so important that they're playing Green Bay this week and they're not traveling to Dallas. You know, however, however, the Falcons home field advantage, they may not be able to get in the mind of Aaron Rodgers like they did with Russell Wilson last week. I don't know if you saw this, Rocks, but as you know, Russell and Sierra are together. They have consummated their marriage 
Edge, right? We've been talking about this. did you know that the Atlanta Falcons, when the Seattle Seahawks came in there last week, the Atlanta Falcons had not one but two very interesting guests on their sideline by the name of Future and Little Bow Wow, basically trolling Russell Wilson trying to get in his head. So I ask you, what would be more intimidating if you were out there warming up to see on the opposing sideline? Would it be seeing like your opponent wearing no shirt in 10 degree weather or seeing your new wife's baby daddies on the sideline? Which would freak you out more? I'm going to say um, neither of the above. I'm not getting freaked out, man. I'm in the zone. This is a playoff game. Okay. I, I, you know, the sort of horror you get put through when you're getting hit, when you're dealing with those two a days in the offseason, when you're making every sacrifice possible to get to this level, I'm not distracted by anything, man. I got tunnel vision on top of blinders and I'm wearing sunglasses. I can't see the haters. I can't see any distraction. And if I'm Matt Ryan at home this week, I want to see. How comfortable can you be, son? You want to be elite, son? Yep. Let's see it. This is a good referendum on Matt Ryan. Is he elite? Is he a deserving MVP candidate if he can topple Aaron Rodgers? Let's move on to the AFC Championship game, Brocks, where later on Sunday evening, we're going to have the Pittsburgh Steelers travel to Foxborough to take on the Patriots. Now, listen, the Patriots won in Pittsburgh in Week 7, 27-16, but in that matchup, Land Andre Jones was under center for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Here's my question for you. You see the way Le'Veon Bell has been running the ball in these first two Steelers playoff games, 163 yards, that followed by 170-yard effort. You know that Bill Belichick likes to take away the one thing that a team does best. However, you just got Antonio Brown on the other side. Are these triplets equipped to move the ball and put up points and keep up with Tom Brady, given the triplets in this offense on the road at night in the cold in Foxborough. I mean, I think it's going to be a heroic effort if they're able to pull this one out. Speeds, you know last week I faded the entire Pittsburgh offense pretty, pretty hard. Le'Veon Bell obviously had a solid game, but they didn't really do what a lot of people thought they were going to be able to do. Shut down in the red zone. Six field goals out of Chris Boswell. If they don't turn those into touchdowns this weekend, they're toast. I mean, he did the Mexico proud. I'll give him that. But uh, what I will say is that if I was a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, I would be really, really concerned about the early part of this game. Because if Bill Belichick puts up a lead, blows the doors off, and and just I would just more so say like they're gonna I think I think they're gonna make Ben Roethlisberger win this game if they get a lead. Because he's been careless with the ball the last five weeks. Le'Veon Bell has definitely been churning those yards out. He's been putting, you know, a little more of the big plays than we've seen from even from the regular season, scored a couple touchdowns already. I think if I am the New England Patriots, I am just stuffing that box. And I'm saying, Ben, you might beat me once, you might beat me twice, but you're going to throw an interception that third time because that's what he's shown so far the last five games and already in this postseason. What do you think, Speeds? Interesting note. I, I agree with you that Big Ben Roethlisberger is not the same away from Pittsburgh. Um, what I'm looking for, remember, we're going to find out if the Darius Green can get back in this lineup. I think that's something interesting. You saw what Jesse James actually did against Kansas City, going for five catches and 86 yards. But Darius Green was limited in practice earlier in the week, but then it looks like he might have had another setback, going from limited to DNP over the course of Wednesday to Thursday. So I wonder where he will have as those outlets. Here's, listen, I think the Patriots are a deserving favorite. Here is my path to the Steelers pulling out a victory. And I got to tell you, if you've been listening to Shot Callers on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network or here on the Fantasy freestyle. One of the things I said earlier in the season was Tom Brady was 39 years old. And I said Tom Brady was not looking mobile. And I told you guys a long time ago, I even gave you the names. I said it was going to be Jadavion Clowney or James Harrison Harrison that was going to, or I mentioned it, Justin Houston or Tom Bahali or Cameron Wake. I said one of these dudes is going to do damage to the AFC playoffs. It hasn't happened yet. However, one thing you did see in that game against the 
Houston Texans. Wow. They put Jadavion Clowney got her. to him. Whitney Merciless got to him. And you know how That's big a of a fan, fan, you know how big of a fan you are, Rocks, about like that Eli sad face. Tom Brady was throwing tantrums at points when he was getting pressure on him, looking over to the ref saying, yo, all quarterbacks matter. What happened? And he was getting a little bit like tantrum the ways only maybe Giselle has seen before. And you know what has happened on this pass rush of the Pittsburgh Steelers? Ask Matt Moore about Bud Dupree. Ask Alex Smith about Bud Dupree. Bud Dupree has come on. I call him the Dementor from Harry Potter because he steals the soul of his victims. And I think watch out either him or Harrison. If they start to get pressure on Tom Brady, this could become a very interesting AFC championship game. Speeds, what do you think, though? Who's coming out? Who's repping, who's repping the AFC? Listen, let's make our picks. Let's make our picks. If we had to make our picks right now, you know what? I'm going to go with the Steelers. I think the Steelers' offense can compete. I think it's choose your poison. I think maybe Ben comes out with Antonio Brown. I think this Steelers team can do enough and can make some plays. They are not afraid of them. And despite the fact that the Patriots have been in 12 of the last 15 AFC championship games, I think it's the Pittsburgh Steelers going to Houston. And I got to say, as much as I would like that narrative, as much as I'd like to see Ben stand tall, perhaps a little bit of snow in the background, um, I just think that New England's going to do just enough. I think they'll get at least one probably BS will. call. BS call. Will. You know, what I will say, though, is um, I'm going to go with my gut and my heart. I think Green Bay is a team of destiny. I think this right. is going to be Aaron Rodgers' coronation as the elite of the elite as he elevates in a similar way that Brady has whoever is around him. And they, they're talking about not even having Geronimo Allison for this game. Again, right. Jeff Janis, remember that name. You're going to see Randall Cobb, Ty Montgomery out of the backfield. I think that Green Bay makes a big defensive play against Atlanta on the road. And I think you're going to see Green Bay and New England in the Super Bowl. All right, so it looks, like, it looks like we're going to also disagree on the NFC Championship game, much like you think this is just Aaron Rodgers' time and the coronation will be complete. I'm going to go the other way. I think this is the Matt Ryan season when he does answer the exact challenge you pose, Rocks, and proves to, in fact, be elite and close down the Georgia Dome with a win in the NFC Championship game. Give me the Atlanta Falcons and the Pittsburgh Steelers, although truth be told, Rocks, remember when we put in some futures bets? Not too long ago, I actually picked two teams at 8-1 to one to win the Super Bowl, and they were the Atlanta Falcons and the Pittsburgh Steelers. So maybe I am just riding with that. When we come back, Rocks, you mentioned that we were going to go over the recently announced Hall of Fame new inductees from 2017. We've got, you know, our ballots to break down. Superlatives. And and some interesting questions about why people are even on the ballot. Then, of course, we'll give them our game flow genius, our diamonds, and our fugazi. Zay Rocks, fantasy freestyle dropping stats over beats on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. We sure is. Hello? You play to win the game. You don't play to just play it. Dropping stats over beats. It's the Fantasy Freestyle of the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Rocks and speeds giving you everything you need. We already broke down AFC and NFC Championship game. I hope you got that insight. Uh, you probably found out some nuggets in there on who we liked in those games. We made our picks. Now, we're going to give you some of that Bo Jackson, Deion Sanders. We're going to switch it over to baseball where the Hall of Fame ballots are released. We want to give you our insights because, listen, we're going to tip our cap to some people. We're going to question some other people and those people include the Baseball Writers Association of America. One thing I'll also say is that Hall of Fame speeds is a term that I have to believe is originally a Major League Baseball term that has transcended the sport. Hall of Fame. Do you think it was a Hall of Fame of anything before the Baseball Hall of Fame? I mean, I can't speak to all the crazy stuff they did back in ancient Rome. The Hall of Fame of industry? Back in ancient Rome. The Hall of Fame of war? I think Hall of Fame. That is a, that's decidedly American phrasing. Shout to Edelman or whoever handled the marketing. You just try to say Edelman. You just try to get Edelman in the podcast however you can. And their, their public relations firm speeds calm down. Uh, I'm just 
You can say Edelman. I gotta find a way to get Jim Bob Cooter involved. Whoever whoever did that marketing shouts at John Draper. That is that is the incredible branding. The Hall of Fame. It evokes it evokes an elaborate place where perhaps one day your greatness will secure your place. And that's very interesting, Rocks. You kind of, you know, you're starting to glorify this and what it invokes, right? And the baseball writers, let me tell you something that is very interesting about this. You know, they think that they are the people who get to invoke whatever they want with the Hall of Fame. You know, they have, as a for a while now, decided to try to not vote guys that are associated with the steroid era. There are people that they're making their statements, withholding votes. However, did you know two things that are happening with the Hall of Fame voting rocks? One is that they actually just made a huge purge of some of the older writers in the Baseball Writers Association Wait, of they, America. They killed them or they just said nah, you can't vote anymore? it's not like on some one day a year everything is legal thing. It's They they actually just have moved the votes away. It's a much younger uh, crop and that is the what online. we've seen. A surge of people like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. They, haven't, they didn't get in this year, but their percentages did in fact move up. And also, this is the last year your ballot will be able to be anonymous. Moving forward, starting next year, uh, you will know who's voting for who. And I think when it's more transparent, maybe people are going to have to explain. And that is going to be very interesting as it relates to the steroid era. Rocks, obviously, the way people handle some of the steroid era uh, candidates is a very big thing. Rock, we were saying before, you were you were saying, like, in our generation, the greatest hitter and the greatest pitcher still left out of the hall. Yeah, certainly. And I'll allow people who perhaps have their own regional biases to decide who that is. But, yo, Speeds, one thing that I feel is extremely positive is that Tim Raines, tip my cap to that, Tim Raines made the Hall of Fame this year. He doesn't have those insane counting stats, maybe not the highest batting average that you might not be used to, but there's really... four career batting average. It's pretty damn good. But I would say, though, that he's a guy who really got through with a lot of that smart baseball playing, that those intangibles that perhaps aren't defined by how you look and how you carry yourself more than by the outcomes on the field. There's a lot to be said, I think, for the sabermetric community, for the people who have looked at war, wins above replacement, rather than maybe, uh, you know, his amount of doubles or whatever. That, And I think that's a big reason why Tim Raines is in the Hall of Fame. I also think that, uh, you know, the big outlier here is how do you treat the steroid issue? And at what point, at what point do you say... I'm going to let it go or we all need to vote as a block and get these guys off the bat it's clogging up I heard that I heard that some guys who walk a lot and hit home runs clog up the bases but these guys now are clogging up the bat and they're causing a lot of problems for other people that might not even get that requisite 5% to stay on the bat well it's very interesting you talk about how we treat the steroids era and you could really try to put that lens on almost any candidate you tip your cap to Tim Raines who you know was probably before this Rock Raines no steroids Rock Raines there you go you know that was all natural Jeff Bagwell however he's under some level of suspicion it took him seven years but he finally gets in with his career 449 home runs over 1500 ribbies for his career but there was a steroids shadow on him even though it was unproven much like Mike Piazza from last year where he had to slowly rise up through the ranks however this year in his first year of eligibility Ivan Pudge Rodriguez, who also has some, you know, uh, shadows cast upon him. He uh, lost 40 pounds one year reporting the spring training after being a truck holding the ball with the Marlins um, in 2003. He also were on those Texas teams that had Jose Canseco, Rafael Palmeiro. Rodriguez? That's who we're talking about. Juan Gonzalez, Fernando Tatis, and Jose Canseco, who had has yet to be proven wrong in any way, shape, or form as it relates to steroids, says in his book that he personally injected Pudge Rodriguez and Rafael Palmero and Juan Gonzalez. I mean, if you are going to be cast dispersions on guys like Bonds and Clemens and even Sammy Sosa or Manny Ramirez, who's also his first year on the ballot and is one of the most feared right-handed hitters of our time, where do you draw the line where it comes to Pudge? And, and, Get me in the head of these writers and, and voters, and, and, and maybe these people... 
don't see that Yvonne Rodriguez, as I, as I sarcastically said while you were running down that litany of Texas guys under scrutiny, maybe Yvonne Rodriguez may have uh, done something wrong. But Pudge is, to me, Pudge was the 18-year-old kid who came up as the best defensive catcher in a long time. Pudge was a guy who caught Nolan Ryan. Sure. Earned Nolan Ryan's respect and caught the attention of a nation having some trouble on their southern border. Pudge was a guy, to me, who, before he even realized that it would be advantageous for him financially to be a good offensive hitter was the face of a young crop of new guys who knew how to play the game the right way. A lot of those other guys, you know, no one cares that Juan Gonzalez, you know, he had some he had some lasers at the Yankee Stadium, but he didn't make any sort of impact beyond really what he contributed with the bat. A lot of these other guys, you know, Rafael Palmero that you're mentioning, certainly they've had great career numbers, but Pudge Rodriguez was a guy who came up as a 19-year-old catching Nolan Ryan. He was a cultural phenomenon, and he remained a great defensive catcher in an era where defense was largely cast aside in the name of these big home run totals. So let's move on to some other guys, and we talk about how the steroid lens is applied to them. And we're not even going to the top tier of the Bonds or the Clemens, but two other people that you know have steroids hanging over them, but at the same time, you cannot deny the production they had in the steroids era. One being Sammy Sosa and the other being Manny Ramirez. How do you think the committee handles these cases? I mean, I just, I, I think that it, you either have to take it as an absolute or you either have to take but it. clearly not. But you, or, or then you could even take it as it's a guy who maybe dabbled in it and made a difference. Hey, guys like Manny Ramirez is what, the second or third ranked hitter in the country coming out of an obscure high school as far as baseball is concerned. Yeah. From Washington Heights in New York, G- GW, George but Washington. All of these guys were like that. No, some of these guys were pedigrees, and other guys just basically were just such great hitters that they just made the world take notice. And that's basically what Manny Ramirez did. He followed a non-traditional path from the Dominican to New York City, and from there, he was an incredible hitter before there was even a whiff of steroids. Barry Bonds won three MVP awards as a Pittsburgh. And I also think Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame. You were t- you're talking to me. Yeah. You're talking to me. But uh, if you're saying like these guys who transcended hitting like Manny Ramirez and who were always this this uh, chosen one, clearly Barry Bonds was as well. Was the and, I'd like to, and, and, I, and I think Barry Bonds and I, and I think State. Barry Bonds is an example of someone who's clogging up the bases or clogging up Barry, so Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame. Roger Clemens should already be in the Hall of Fame. We should be talking right now about Kirk, Kirk Schilling and Mike Mussina. We should not be talking about Roger Clemens. We should be talking right now about Edgar Martinez and Jorge Posada. We should not be talking about Barry Bonds. Manny Ramirez should be a no-brainer Hall of Famer. We talked about it, Speeds. Have you seen a better right-handed hitter in your lifetime? No, I think he was the most feared. I remember, let's check this out. I was a Yankees fan, and when Manny Ramirez came to the plate, I was worried. Let's look a little bit differently. There's another interesting position I want to talk about, and that is the closer position, Rocks. Trevor Hoffman did not not get in. This is his second year on the ballot. He of 601 career saves. It was also the last year for Lee Smith. We were talking about uh, also Billy Wagner on the ballot. And, you know, we also know in another year or two, we're going to have the great Mariano Rivera. You talk about log jams. Are we starting to create a log jam at closer? How do you think about some of these relievers, Rox? I mean, we, we talked about this before earlier, too. I, I think that both of those guys are incredible pitchers, and I think both of them also help to define the importance that an elite closer can have on a great baseball team. That said... Mariano Rivera is the cream of the crop. I would not be surprised if the Baseball Writers Association elected him in his first year eligible. Also, though, again, because of the way that he's been such a great ambassador of the game, he's been a face of the Yankees that even the enemies of the Yankees cannot help but respect. And that was obviously the dominant dynasty from the early 90s until, you know, maybe we'll say 2002 or so. Um... The rest of those guys were guys who maybe put up some great stats and might have been nice fantasy guys. You saw them once or twice on television during the World Series. Mariano Rivera transcended the closer position and also helped to redefine it. 
think, you know, you can say, make an argument Trevor Hoffman should be in the Hall of Fame. I don't see that as a logjam. I see Mariano Rivera more so actually even than anyone who's on the ballot this year because he's never been implicated in steroids as being more of a no-brainer Hall of Famer. You know, someone who I want to say, in my opinion, is a no-brainer Hall of Famer as well. And to be quite honest, I think May just be the best overall player uh, and when we consider like five tools on this list he did not get in it was the first year of his eligibility he will definitely get in and that is my man we both had him on our ballot Vladimir Guerrero Vladimir Guerrero you talk about one of the best hitters of the generation with Manny Ramirez Vladimir Guerrero could hit a ball at his eyes or on his shoelaces I remember once they tried to intentionally walk Vladimir Guerrero and I think he lined it for a double in the right center field gap. And let me tell you something. You know, we have guys like Larry Walker on this list who also had an incredible arm, but Vladimir Guerrero from right field, I'd say that could rival Ichiro from that period of time in terms of, you know, his uh, his arm with Montreal and LA. What a player he was. And just the extent to which you could see that baseball, a game that's so technical in its nature, could still be taken over by people who had a physical fear and the ability to match it that would just do things that you didn't think that baseball, you know, such a nuanced yeah, chess match of a game could happen. Vlad Guerrero, I completely agree with you, should be a Hall of Famer sooner rather than later. But you know, it's interestingly enough, if we look a little bit further down, by now, if you listen to Fantasy Freestyle on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, if you've been keeping it real with rocks and speeds, you know that we are Yankee fans, so we would be remiss if we did not talk about Jorge Posada, who got on the ballot, but unfortunately did not get the 5% that he needed to stay on the ballot. Listen, hip hip, Jorge, we tip our cap to you. Unfortunately, you will fade off the ballot. Last thing on this, rocks. we were talking about it before. You know, you hear who the people are who are uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame, right? And you hear these guys that are the interesting cases, the Sosas, the Shillings of the world. But if you really look at the entire ballot, there is like five, ten people who get on the ballot, and you literally are like, how are these people on the ballot? For example, who took acid and put up Carlos Guillen? How is Carlos Guillen on the ballot? I get it that that Veritech is important in Boston, but on the Hall of Fame ballot? Absolutely. You have to be retired for five years. So these are people who retired in 2011. And Ross, I think some of the guys you mentioned are actually more legitimate to get nominated. Think about Arthur Rhodes. Think about Casey Blake. These are guys. These are Matt, guys. Matt, I've been retired for five years. I can't climb all these stairs. He was a quote-unquote professional hitter. If you know what it takes to qualify to be on the ballot, I don't understand why some of these guys are on and other dudes who retired in 2011 aren't. But if you happen to know, hit us up on Twitter at Fantasy Freestyle. Leave off the last E. We don't make no errors. And you can come on and explain it to us because we have no idea why uh, or Pat Burrell and Freddie Sanchez are on. I want to know who is the writer in the 1% that thinks that these guys should be on, but like guys like even Jeff Kent or Fred McGriff should not. It's absolutely crazy. Maybe next year when they aren't anonymous anymore and they have to let us know who they are, maybe Matt Stairs and Arthur Rhodes and Freddie Sanchez won't be on. How are these people on the ballot? I mean, it's really difficult to figure out, but by the same token, I really think it's interesting to see when you could look at the breakdown of some of those guys that we've talked about, those obvious Hall of Famers by statistics and by their impact, but not Hall of Famers by the impact, you know, by, by the inferences. Who's voting against Clement Clemens? Who's voting against Bond? I actually think that you'll either see a huge shift one way or the other when that's called out there because you can't deny the impact that either of them have had upon the game, but we're at an impasse. The logjam needs to be cleared as long as they're on the ballot because they shouldn't keep blocking great people like Matt Stairs and Freddie Sanchez. <laughs> Absolutely, and with the younger surge and hey, the is Denny, Na- is Denny Nagel coming up? Maybe. I don't know if it's been five years for him, but that will happen with transparency and youth, and we'll be here to talk about it. But when we come back, we're going to go back into football, our season-long awards. We're going to go to the quarterback position and let you know who are our game flow geniuses, our diamonds in the rough, and our fantasy. Fugazis. Forget about it. Dropping stats over beats. It's a fantasy freestyle on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. How about that? 
want to crown them, then crown their ass. But they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. And we're back. This is the Fantasy Freestyle Live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. It's your boy Rocks One here with my man Speeds. They call him Speeds the Spitting Statistician. And they call me Young Fistful of Rings. And as I age, one of the things that I've noticed is that getting a great quarterback in the late rounds is one of the best things that you can do for your season-long fantasy league. And man, is that invaluable in DFS. So what we're going to do as we kick off our superlative edition of the quarterback breakdown is talk about some of those diamonds in the rough that we found. Some of those people that you could have got late in your draft that held your team down all season. AO Speeds, who you got as a diamond at the quarterback for the season-long superlatives? Yo, my first diamond in the rough at the quarterback position, yo, Marcus Mariota. Marcus Mariota quietly had an absolutely great year. For most of the season, he was he was one of the top five quarterbacks. He and that exotic smash mouth of the Tennessee Titans, they were on track, in my opinion, to win the AFC South um, until Mariota got hurt in week 15 or 16. This is a guy who ran for 349 yards, but also started, became more careful with the ball, only throwing the ball, only throwing nine interceptions for the entire season. He was able to go, you know, dink and dunk mostly with his guy Delaney Walker but he did in fact accumulate and for a while there in the middle of the season the Tennessee Titans were scoring 30 points a game they were looking good and Mariota was a very big part of that and I hear that the Tennessee Titans who have moved up and are number five in the draft order this year coming up because of that trade they made with the Los Angeles Rams for them to get Jared Goff that number one overall pick I believe with the number five overall pick you heard it here first First, the Tennessee Titans are going to draft Clemson wide receiver Mike Williams, the lanky, tall, number one wide receiver off the board in an effort to support Marcus Mariota, give him a dynamic playmaker on the outside to pair with Walker and that exotic smash mouth. Last year, they invested in the offensive line with one of the best offensive rookies in Jack Cochran on the offensive line. Their defense is developing. If they can support Mariota and show other teams in the AFC South how how you build around the promising quarterback. Watch out for the Tennessee Titans in 2017, led by my diamond, Marcus Mariotto. Mariotto. I'm going to take it from the south in the AFC. I'm going to keep it in the AFC. I'm going to move this all the way over to the west, to Oakland. Put your hands in your pocket. Figure out where your wallet is, and then keep your hand near your wallet, because we're in Oakland, folks, and my diamond is Derek Carr. Derek Carr finished the year as the 11th overall quarterback. He would have been a lot better if he hadn't broke that finger in week 12 against the Panthers. However, Derek Carr showed some leadership. He didn't cry. He didn't complain. He just put his helmet on and went to work. And I love that in the quarterback. A lot of people didn't think he'd be able to repeat the finish that he had last year when he proved himself as a fantasy quarterback. He did this year. He was a viable fantasy quarterback. And what's more, he also proved he's a leader on this Oakland Raiders or perhaps maybe Las Vegas Raiders football team into the future. He went 28 touchdowns to only six interceptions, threw for 3,937 yards in 15 games. Those totals, folks, would have been a lot better if he didn't break that finger and tough it out. He missed the last game of the season with a broken leg, but Derek Carr did what a lot of people were not sure that he was, and that was establish himself as a mid to low range QB be one with room for growth as he has Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree coming back next year. I love that guy, Derek Carr, diamond in the rough. Yo, you also got to love about uh, Mr. Carr. You got to love that offensive line that they are building for him in Oakland. They were well on their way until those injuries. He'll be back big time next year. I got one more diamond for them in the quarterback position. Hey, yo, Rocks, what if I told you that this guy was QB9 overall? What if I told 
told you that this guy, along with Andrew Luck, were the only two quarterbacks in the top 10 that didn't even play all 16 games? What if I also told you that this guy led, I believe, led the quarterback position in rushing with 580 yards and six touchdowns? And what if I told you that this same man is not guaranteed his job for the next year? You'd be talking about my second diamond in the rough, T-Mobile, Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor, quarterback nine overall, and now with a new regime, you do not know. They're talking about cutting him. He just had groin surgery. Will he be able to make the physical? That is going to be a very interesting um, you know, news story as it progresses in the offseason. If we see somehow Tyrod Taylor in the open market, or if we see somehow Kirk Cousins in the open market, it is going to be very, very interesting. But I'm telling you, Tyrod Taylor is, you know, there are not 32 good quarterbacks on this planet. There are probably, what, 15 to 20 of them? Listen, Tyrod Taylor is actually one of them. Tyrod Taylor, my diamond in the rough for 2016 at the quarterback position. Ha ha! And yo, Speeds, you point out how few quarterbacks there are in this league and why this sort of year-end superlatives can be so different from what we thought when the year started. Sure. Probably the biggest difference is what happened in Dallas. Mm. When Tony Romo went down, it was tough to tell what to expect. But dare I say, there were very few people in the Dallas area who were happy about that. Mm -hmm. Dak Prescott was viewed as maybe an athletic project, a guy who perhaps could be a decent, long-term, viable backup. However, no one saw that he was going to finish the season as the number six overall fantasy player. And we'd be talking about Tony Romo on his way out as the Cowboys. Yo, they got bounced in round one. But Dak was everything you would have wanted to see out of a first round, first overall pick. Never mind the fact that he was chosen in the fourth round at 135 overall. He showed poise. He showed presence. He showed pocket presence. He had all those peas popping. He also, late in the season, showed an ability to connect downfield with Des Bryant that I think is going to be so good for him overall. More so, what he did not do was turn the ball over carelessly. He simply didn't make rookie mistakes. Honestly, he played games against quarterbacks who were veterans and probably laughed to himself as those veterans made bad throws, being like, <laughs> they make him rookie mistakes because he was not making them. An outstanding 23-4 to touchdown to interception ratio. Yeah, you could maybe naysay and say he lost four fumbles, but he scored six rushing touchdowns. Dak Prescott. You might say he wasn't asked to do much, but what I would say is every time he was asked to do something, he did it. Therefore, Dak Prescott, the forgotten man, number eight overall, diamond in the rough. And it's only going to get better in Dallas, whether they deserve it or not. Yo, those are some diamonds in the rough. Now we got to give them the opposite, the fugazis, okay? These are the guys that maybe we thought were going to do big things, but actually we looked a little closer this year. We saw their game deteriorate. If this was a year ago today, people thought that this guy would have been maybe the best quarterback of all time and cresting to do something that we have never seen before. People thought he was the odds-on favorite for the Super Bowl MVP to finish up his regular season MVP. But this year, Cam Newton was QB 16, and the story around him was something you could have heard us talking about all season long. It started in week one against Denver when he got popped and evaluated for the, you know, for the symptoms, for the for the ringing of the bells, for the sensitivity to light, and that became a narrative all season long. And then other things around Cam Newton became a narrative all season long. Would he wear a tie or not? Why wear the pink top hat? How is he driving around with no helmet? Does he care about his own brain? Does he care more about his own brand than his own brain? But on the field, Cam Newton did not perform and to be honest, that is one of the major reasons why the Carolina Panthers did not make it back to the playoffs. This guy threw 19 touchdowns and 14 interceptions this year. That is blunt guts trash, to take a phrase from my man Rocks here 
on the fantasy freestyle. You know what else he did? He had eight games where he had under a 50% completion percentage. 50%? That's are you, ridiculous. Are you reading that speech? That's like Tim that Tebow right? levels. Trust me, it might even have been more when I go back and double check it. I'm telling you, this guy did not deliver on that MVP season. The Carolina Panthers had a hangover. So did Cam Newton Fugazi. Forget about him. Yo, and as we were watching Cam Newton let down the Carolina fans and not repeat their dramatic push to get to the Super Bowl last year, in New York, me and Speeds, we get the Giants game on TV. So we see a lot of the Giants game. That's a nationally televised game. It's largely been a good competitive game over the last decade or so. But this is the first season that we've really seen Eli play at all since Peyton's been retired. And I feel like I speak for a lot of people and just been like, yo, you should just go to Peyton's house, watch that direct TV, let someone else play quarterback for the Giants this year. Because... Eli Manning was blunt guts trash. 22nd overall quarterback. People didn't think he was going to break records. No one thought he was going to be in the top five. However, Eli was going to be one of those guys you could wait on and get a safe quarterback. He was anything other than safe. And he also displayed none of the upside he's shown in those flashes of brilliance previously. He only had more than 20 points twice all games this season. And you know what? He only threw for 26 touchdowns after throwing for 35 last year and 30 over the past two years combined. Still, I'll give him this. He played for all 16 games. He threw for more than 4,000 yards, but, you know, he's useful more as a mid-range QB2 than you could ever look at him again as a elite, elite, I say that, Eli elite starter ever again. And even his OC knows that they're talking about it around the new Meadowlands, the fake Meadowlands, I call them Jet Life, Met Life. And honestly, I wonder, what does he got, two years more as a Giants quarterback speeds? Maybe three? So sure. I, I also think you need to forget about Eli Manning. I think actually the Giants in this draft or the next one are going to invest a second or third round pick on a guy like Eli Man. Take that, Giants fans. There you go. That's one of Rox's Fugazis at the quarterback position. Just to give it to you uh, over here, Rox, Cam Newton, these are his last seven games of the season. 14 of 33, 14 of 29, 14 of 32, 10 of 27. Then he had one of above 50% at 21 of 37, barely, followed by 18 of 43 and 18 of 33. You gotta, work, you gotta work, you gotta work to throw 25 incomplete Come on in the game. Now. So someone Yo, else who's there's a lot of there's a lot of sports stuff I don't know that I could confidently do, but I could throw 25 incomplete passes. I think that is true. But would you I'm working out of the shotgun. But would you wear that pink top hat? The, my next Fugazi here at the quarterback position. Remember I told you Cam Newton was QB 16 this season. QB 17 this season was my second Fugazi, Big Ben Roethlisberger. Let me tell you something. It is a very weird, odd mix with Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers in general. The Steelers are a completely different offense as we've discussed at the top of the show in Pittsburgh and otherwise. His home road splits are actually a thing. Here's the other thing of why Big Ben Roethlisberger is a fugazi. You need to forget about him in terms of consistency. If you think you are going to have a championship caliber team, which is what you thought when you had Ben Roethlisberger, whenever it is you, you know, drafted him and rode with him as your quarterback, he is going to let you down either with an injury or road games that will burn you in the playoffs or when you really need him. And for that reason, and the reason that next year it's probably not getting any better. You could put him down for another 12 or 13 game season. Big Ben Roethlisberger, Fugazi. That's a Fugazi. How do you know it's a Fugazi? You looked at it for two seconds. It's a fake. But hey, I know what a Fugazi is. I'm just going to make this quick. Ryan Fitzpatrick, lowest quarterback rating and a quarterback over 400 passes. Garrett, Matt Barkley, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Bees in the pod, hanging out in the pod. Turnover machine, luck ran out. Uh, losing deck or hurt, but Ryan Fitzpatrick regressed in the mean. 
Bryce Petty didn't do much better, but signed on a one-year one-year contract. I don't really see Ryan Fitzpatrick entering 2017, 2018, or 2019 as any team's starting quarterback. However, Spees, correct me if I'm wrong, was Ryan Fitzpatrick at one point on the Houston Texans? Ryan Fitzpatrick was on the Houston Texans, and DeAndre Hopkins did just fine with him. And wouldn't, wouldn't you... Uh, the Houston Texans, I guess, in some sort of weird alchemy of things that don't actually work in terms of the contract and real-life situation, wouldn't they just love to somehow have Ryan Fitzpatrick starting for them going into next year and not the noose around their neck that is Brock Osweiler? It's absolutely true. On Shot Callers earlier in the week, we asked which was the worst $72 million contract. Was it Brock Osweiler or was it Knicks center Joaquin Noah, who also got the exact same contract? Hey, rocks. we got one more piece of business here when we look at the quarterbacks why don't you give us your game flow genius quarterbacks for the season you're sitting there in the lounge you're hanging out with your friends you're having an awesome time however you're not getting the drinks that you think you deserve enter Bortle service speeds you and i talked about going into the season we didn't really think that blake Bortles was going to maintain the same garbage time production that game flow production that we gave all of them during the 2000 2015 regular season that helped them win their leagues and win that cash because we thought the Jacksonville defense would be better. We also thought the Jacksonville offense would be a lot more balanced. They'd maybe score some points in the first half. The Jacksonville offense, <laughs> they laughed in our faces. Blake Bortles, if you can believe it, folks, and, and really look it up because you're not going to believe me, Blake Bortles finished as the number eight overall quarterback, but he did it in disgust ugly way that made that made you call into question the entire Jacksonville Jaguars team strategy building around him. He threw for 2,200 yards and a 15 to 7 touchdown to interception ratio in the second half. And if you want to just look at the second, if you want to just look at the fourth quarter, that boils down to 2,500 yards and a 10 to 5 interception ratio. We're looking at, if you work that out, Drew Brees numbers. That's a game flow genius if I ever saw one. The problem is the first half also counts. He was still garbage there in a season where a lot of people, including myself, thought he'd take a step forward. He did not, but if you had him and you were able to get him late, he still provided sneaky, horrible, oh my god, don't watch, but check the stats at the end of the game, value. And as far as I'm concerned, that's still value. So he's my game flow genius. Yo, Rocks, you know, when I go to my game flow genius, you know, sometimes on the Fantasy Freestyle, we drop stats over beats. I like to say, and you like to say, that we don't just give people fish. We teach them how to fish. And I'm going to tell you something, Rocks. There is a new kind of offense in the NFL. You, as a Saints fan, you have been lucky very, you know, over the last few years, not only to have Hall of Fame caliber quarterback play, but you have one of these high-octane offenses that have so many different weapons that the quarterback has the ability to read the mail and be able to understand which is the matchup that they want to go to and then also be blessed with enough playmakers that that makes for an incredible offense. This is the way that my game flow genius quarterbacks have gone. These is the, that is the consistent thread between these quarterbacks. So the first one I'm going to tell you is Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is a guy who throws, throws, throws. He was third in the NFL in passing yards with 4,917 passing yards, okay? This is a guy who let all his playmakers do the job. This is a team that didn't have a number one wide receiver, okay? They had good tight end play. They had three or four wide receivers. They had a pass catching back. This is the same kind of way that a guy like Phillip Rivers plays. Another game flow genius quarterback. This guy was fourth in the NFL in passing yards with over 4,300 passing yards. Same kind of offense. Backs out of the backfield that can catch the ball. A number of targets, both tight end and receiver, and a quarterback who is veteran enough to identify mismatches. The last game flow genius that fits in this category for me at the quarterback position in 2016 is Matthew Stafford. That offense, which you 
know I've wait, been following wait, wait, wait. for a long time is built in the same exact Which way. Which offense? I've been saying for a long time specifically. That's how we're bringing it full circle. Okay, I've been saying for a long time that it was in fact a good thing that Megatron was not there. It was a good thing for Matthew Stafford. And Matthew Stafford became a game flow genius kind of quarterback with this offense. Again, the passing backs out of the backfield, the multitude of weapons, the lack of a number one wide receiver, and having two, three, four actual good options. That's the way this is moving. That's what develops a game flow genius for the quarterback position. Leave it to my man, Jim Bob Cooter. We're going to see about all of that. We're also going to see about our bets, our predictions. What we will not see about, there's no questions about, is that we're going to start dropping that baseball knowledge on you people sooner rather than later. If you fell in love with the fantasy freestyle during the football season, oh man, you're going to have a nice romantic understanding with us during spring training, during when pitchers and catchers report. We're going to be bringing you that Bo Jackson, that Deion Sanders. We're just going to be giving you everything you need to win your league and win that cash. So stick around, subscribe on that iTunes, holler at us on that Fantasy Sports Radio Network app you can get for free on either that iTunes or that Android. We're going to be back next week prepping y'all for the Super Bowl. Until then, good luck on everything you doing. Stay tuned. Hold your head. It's going to be okay no matter what happens. And yo, this is Rox. It's my man Speeds. It's a fantasy freestyle on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Good night.